years past here at GCA, this weekend has typically been homecoming weekend. And we make a whole weekend of it, and people come to visit us from all over the country. This year, a couple of months ago, I announced that because of the COVID regulations, that we were not going to have homecoming weekend. And some of you came anyway. <laughs> and, we're just, <laughs> and we're just glad to see you here. So thank you for making the trip to come and join us this morning. Again, typically over the course of the weekend, we have a lot of time and preaching so that we are able to talk about the resurrection of Christ. But we also, on Resurrection Sunday morning, observe our annual communion service. The reason that it is annual will become more obvious as we talk through this morning's teaching. Unique among the religions of human beings on planet Earth is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are the only respected religion in the history of the world who has a man at the center who got up from the dead. No one else even makes that claim because nobody else can sustain that claim. Nobody else can prove that claim. And yet the resurrection of Christ is one of the most provable events in human history. And the resurrection of Christ is not just something that we admire from afar, but we recognize theologically the importance of the resurrection. Because Jesus on the cross said to Telestai, it is finished. The work that he had come here to do was completed. Everything that the prophets had said about him was actually accomplished. It was finished. And then he gave up the ghost. Three days later, he got up from the grave, and that moment, that resurrection moment, proved that God accepted the finished work that the Christ actually accomplished. The Son of God got up from the grave, proving that God the Father accepted everything that he had accomplished. And you know what that means to us? That means so many wonderful theological things to start with. That means that your sin debt is in fact paid for. Amen. That the very Son of God actually did accomplish full, complete atonement and redemption on behalf of all his people. And God accepted it. It also means that you are secure in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It means that because he saved you and you didn't save you, you can't mess it up. Because he already accomplished it. He already did it. He already said, it's finished. And the father put his stamp on it and said, it is. It's finished. So inasmuch as the father accepted the sacrifice of the son and inasmuch as the son actually gave his life as a ransom price for the sins of all his people that is the reason that the holy spirit of god the third person of the trinity could take up residence inside you because the price was already paid for you so that you will stand before god spotless and unblemished blameless i love the phrase Jesus came to save sinners. 
When Paul said that, he said, among whom I'm the chiefest. Well, I've given him a run for his money. And I'm just happy to hear and happy to understand, theologically understand, but also experientially understand that the finished work of Jesus Christ is my full hope, my full security, and that I can launch out from this planet into eternity knowing that the work of Jesus Christ has already established the relationship between me and God. And that is wonderful, wonderful news. This morning, as we take the communion together, we're going to be discussing a little bit of the history of the communion service. And we're going to be remembering, because that is the whole point of Passover, is to remember. Remember what Jesus did. I just spelled it out for you. And every week we gather here at GCA and we spell it out again and again and again. And we just keep saying, he accomplished it. He finished it. He did the work so that he gets all the praise and the glory. What we're going to do this morning is remember. Now there are a couple of what I refer to as nicknames in the Bible for this remembrance that we're about to do. In 1 Corinthians 10, the King James Version calls it the communion. And that's how come sometimes the church will refer to it as communion. It says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? By the way, that word is the Greek koinonia. You've heard that word many times here at GCA. It means joint participation. It means that we are all cooperatively doing this together. And so communion is a good translation of koinonia. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion in the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion, the koinonia of the body of Christ? For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21, it's referred to as the Lord's table. Ye cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So it is referred to as the Lord's table. Sometimes people refer to it as the Last Supper. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That's the result of a Leonardo da Vinci painting. The Last Supper. But the name that we call it most frequently is the Lord's Supper. That's because of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19. Paul writes, For there also have been factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For when you eat, each one of you eats his own supper first. And one goes hungry while another gets drunk. And so it's interesting that Paul used that phrase to stand in contrast with the supper that the Corinthians were eating. They were eating their own supper. And because they were eating their own suppers and doing it in a way of greed and doing it in a way that was not communion, not sharing. Paul said that is not the Lord's Supper. 
And so we refer to it oftentimes as the Lord's Supper. But the most common name used for it in the Old and New Testament is Passover. And it is called Passover time and time again. Turn to Matthew 26. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Matthew 26, starting at verse 1, and then we will skip down. It came about that when Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be delivered up for crucifixion. He's already told them in advance what's about to happen. First, they're going to eat the Passover, and then he's going to be given over for crucifixion. They, of course, didn't understand it, didn't believe it, but he kept declaring that in keeping with what all the prophets had written, that he had come to the planet for the purpose of dying as a sacrifice. Here he says it again. Skip down to verse 20. They are now going to sit down for the Passover, which is where Christ establishes this communion remembrance. Now, when evening had come, I know that's only a phrase, but I got to stop there. The Jewish calendar is a lunar calendar. We live on a solar calendar. The reason that's significant to know is that the Jewish day began at sundown the previous day. And so tonight at sundown would be the beginning of Monday. And then it would continue until Monday evening at sundown, and that would be the beginning of Tuesday. So at evening, that was the beginning of the Passover day. And we are going to look at the Old Testament establishment of the Passover after we read this. So that you can really understand why Jesus and his disciples did this. Because they did it every single year. Now when evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said to them, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved... They each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go just as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it's not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said, You said it. You've said it yourself. And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. First important point that you really need to hold on to. The particular bread that he broke and handed to them was unleavened bread. The feast of Passover is the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread. All Israel had to take all the leaven that was in their camp and in their homes, and they had to take it outside the camp. The camp needed to be unleavened. And so the bread that Jesus picked up was unleavened bread because they were keeping the Passover. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. 
Hold on to that. Because typically during a Jewish Seder, a Jewish Passover meal, there is a series of cups of wine. And one of those cups of wine that occur right toward the end of the meal is what's called the cup of blessing. And so Jesus is not only keeping the Passover, he's satisfying and fulfilling the Passover and explaining that it all has to do with him. The Jews have been doing it for 1,400 years, and every year that they did it, they were told to remember their exodus from Egypt. Now Jesus implements the Passover. He doesn't change it. He doesn't change the elements. He doesn't change the time of it. He changes the remembrance of it. Now instead of remembering your deliverance from Egypt, he's going to say, do this in remembrance of me. That's why that is such a significant statement. He's changing their mindset while they still do the exact same thing. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, the unleavened bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We, 21st century Gentiles, could read right past that and not understand it. Remember that the people he was doing this with were Jewish people who understood that the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, was established by the blood of bulls and the blood of goats. Without the spilling of blood, a covenant is not established. Jesus says, drink this wine, it is my blood of the covenant. If you read the parallel account in the book of Luke, Luke includes the word new. It is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus dying on the cross established the necessary blood sacrifice to establish the new covenant that was promised all the way back in Jeremiah 31. So there's tremendous significance going on to every little element of what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now Jesus got all eschatological. And said, as you do this memorial, year by year by year, as you remember me, I won't be doing it until we're together again in my Father's kingdom. Now, Jesus, according to Matthew, the most Jewish of the four Gospels, Jesus has been walking around preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. And he doesn't change the definition of kingdom from what all the Old Testament prophets have said in predicting a kingdom to come. The Davidic covenant says that the greater son of David is going to sit on David's throne and going to rule over a re-established Israel kingdom. Then Jesus walks on the planet and says, kingdom, kingdom, good news of the kingdom. And then here at the end of his ministry, he says, You remember to do this. You remember to keep memorializing my death. But I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until I do it with you in the kingdom. So not only is this a 
remembrance of what he's doing and that he has died and that he has paid for our sins but it is also a forward looking to the return of Christ and the establishment of his kingdom and won't that be a really significant day in human history when he sits down again with his apostles with his church with his collective gathered and once again drinks of the wine and establishes everything that the communion looks forward to it's really remarkable what he was doing here Okay, so let's talk about the Passover for a moment. Tom, look up Exodus 3. You're going to read verse 7 and 8. The rest of us are going to go to Exodus 12. We're going to take some time and establish what this Passover thing is about. While you're flipping, I will just say parenthetically, for anybody who is Confused. I know no one in this room is, but there are people listening on the internet, so I just have to say this. When Jesus spoke the simile, this is my body, his flesh was still on his bones. When he said, this is my blood, his blood was still running through his veins. In other words, it's the same as when Jesus said, I am the door. He was speaking a simile so that we would understand that part of his ministry. When he says, this is my body, he is not advocating for the continual re-sacrificing of Christ over and over, the bloodless sacrifice over and over again on an altar over and over again, so that they can constantly keep Christ on that cross. Christ, in fact, was speaking in a simile when he said when you do this remember my blood remember my body when you do this recognize that it represents my blood and my body he never said that it was going to transfigure and suddenly the wine was magically going to become the blood of Christ he never said that where the bread magically becomes flesh and blood okay that wasn't for anybody in the room that was for the internet people so that they can extricate that idea out of their head. And it gave you all time to find the passage in Exodus 12. Okay, Tom, if you would, stand up and read for us Exodus 3, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So God has said, I'm going to deliver my people. You know that he brought a series of plagues on Egypt. After the series of plagues, the last and worst of them was the killing of all the firstborn in Egypt. The way that the Israelites were able to avoid the death angel was that they had to take the blood of a lamb, put it on the doorpost and on the lentil of their house, go inside, shut the door, and they needed to eat a meal. A roasted lamb couldn't break any of the bones, couldn't seethe it, had to actually cook it with fire. And then the whole family had to eat that lamb that night. That, of course, is all representative 
John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Therefore, that type and that shadow of eating the Passover lamb is established all the way back there at the night when the death angel passes through Egypt and any place that he sees the blood of the lamb, he passes over. That's where the name Passover comes from. Because the death angel of God would pass over any house that had the blood of the sacrificial lamb on them. Should I spell out the type and shadow there? That if you are covered with the blood of the sacrificial lamb, then the death angel will pass over you. Chapter 12 then says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat, and so you'll divide up the lamb. Your lamb shall be unblemished, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they are eating it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire. And they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all in water, but rather roast it with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until the morning, and whatever is left until the morning you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat in this manner. You shall eat with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste, because it is the Lord's Passover. So the people in the house that were eating this lamb had to be fully dressed, sandals on their feet, holding their walking sticks, eating in a hurry, because that night God was going to deliver them out of Egypt. And they had to be ready to go. And so they had to eat that lamb that night, leaving nothing left over. And that is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12 says, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And the blood should be a sign for you, on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial for you. A moment when you each year take the time to remember. Remember what I did. Remember how I delivered you. Remember how I didn't strike you the way I struck the Egyptians. Remember year by year what I accomplished. This day, the 14th of Nisan, the 14th day of the first day of your lunar calendar. On this day will be a memorial for you. 
and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, and you shall celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Does it sound like God's pretty serious about that? Yes. You Israelites, remember this every single year. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Not only because it was a memory of what God had done in delivering them from the land of Egypt into their own land, the land of milk and honey that Tom read about, but it is also going to be fulfilled and established when Jesus himself is on the planet and says to his apostles with great longing, I have longed to eat this Passover with you. And then at that Passover changes their focus to him. So for 1,400 years, God had established within Israel not only a memorial, but a forward-looking to the Messiah who would come to be the sacrifice for the sins of all his people, and he would change the focus from the deliverance of Egypt to deliverance from sin and our eternity and the establishment of the kingdom to come. This is huge. Did I just hear woo-hoo? Did somebody just woo-hoo? For those of you who aren't familiar with GCA, we don't say amen here. We say apparently woo-hoo. This day is going to be a memorial for you. And you will celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. But on the first day you shall remove all the leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day of that week, that person should be cut off from Israel. And on the first day you shall have a holy assembly and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work shall be done on them, except what must be eaten by every person that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt, and therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. I just want you to get how specific this is. God is establishing a memorial that they are going to do every single year. And he says what day to do it and what time to do it. And it's a seven-day feast that begins with Passover. And then the next day is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, a week-long feast. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person should be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So that's why I said when Jesus sat down with his apostles and we read he picked up the bread, that had to be unleavened bread. Jesus, in fulfillment of everything God commanded in the law, would not sit down and eat leavened bread or else he'd be thrown out of the congregation of Israel. The only bread he could have been eating at that moment was the bread that was specific to the calendar date, the 14th of Nisan. 
So Moses called for all the elders of Israel. This is verse 21. And he said to them, go take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. The word lamb is added by the NASB translators. It is go slay the Passover. That lamb became known as the Passover, the sacrificial lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, the blood of that lamb, which is killed. And you'll catch it in a basin and you'll apply some of the blood which is in the basin to the lentil and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood of the lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over that door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And it will come about when you enter the land which the Lord will give you as he has promised you that you shall observe this rite, this memorial. And it will come about when your children say to you, what does this memorial rite mean? You will say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes and the people bowed low and they worshiped. One other quick Old Testament reference Go over to the book of Leviticus, if you would, Leviticus 23, because we have to establish two more feasts real quickly so that you understand the time frame of these feasts and recognize that Jesus perfectly satisfied all of these spring feasts in his incarnation. Chapter 23 of the book of Leviticus, the Levitical law, the law for the Levites, is all about religious festivals, religious feasts. The Lord spoke again to Moses saying, this is verse 1, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, These are the Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest. That is Saturday each week. There is a holy Sabbath that the Jews had to keep. No work, no servile work could be done on Saturday, the Sabbath day. Verse 3 says, For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there will be a Sabbath, a complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is the Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. And these are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. So God said, you're going to have a feast. You're going to have a memorial to me. I'm going to tell you where you're going to have it. I'm going to tell you when you're going to have it. I'll tell you what time of day you're going to have it. God's very specific about how his people are going to worship him. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work. But on the seventh day, you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. And on the seventh day, it is a holy convocation, and you shall not do any laborious work. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, 
When you enter the land which I am going to give to you and you reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. What's the day after the Sabbath? The Sabbath is always Saturday. So the day after the Sabbath would be Sunday, Sunday quite obviously. So follow this now. On the 14th day of Nisan, regardless of what day of the week it landed on, to have the Passover, on the 15th day, there was a high day. There was a week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread with high days on the first day and the last day. Now, if you have a seven-day, one-week feast, somewhere in that week, there's going to be a Sunday. Somewhere there's going to be a day after the Sabbath. Somewhere. When that day hits, you bring your first fruit offering to God. But wait, he's not done yet. Look at verse 15. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheave of the wave offering, that first fruits, and there shall be seven complete Sabbaths, and you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present the new grain offering to the Lord. That's known as the Feast of Weeks because he laid it out as seven weeks. That is also known as the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit arrives in the New Testament. So, 14th of Nisan, whatever day of the week that is, 14th of Nisan, Passover, 15th of Nisan, High Day, Holy Day, the beginning of the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. Somewhere in that week, there's going to be a first day of the week. In that day after the Sabbath, you start counting seven weeks. And at the end of seven weeks, that Sunday, the day after the Sabbath, is the day of Pentecost. Jesus sat down with his disciples on Passover in the evening and said, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. And then he laid out the new remembrance. He said, this is my body, this is my blood, which is given for you. Remember me as often as you do this. By the way, how often did they do it? Once a year. year. How obvious is that? With the unleavened bread. Remember me when you do this. And then through the night, he went into Gethsemane and he prayed. And of course, because they were well-fed and had been drinking wine, they're all sleepy. And so he says to them, couldn't you even stay awake with me for one hour and pray with me? He goes into Gethsemane and prays until his sweat is like great drops of blood because he knows what's coming. Not only is he going to be beaten by mankind, but he's going to endure the wrath of God in your place. He knows what's coming. He prays to the Father, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. And then at that moment, Judas and the Romans show up in the Roman guard, and they take him away. This is all happening during the night. And then he's taken to a completely illegal Jewish council, a kangaroo court, where he's tried on the charge of blasphemy. 
morning comes they take him to Pilate Pilate sends him to Herod Herod sends him back to Pilate Pilate says we have no rules no laws that would allow us to kill him the Jews say well then kill him for us let his blood be on our heads and on our children astounding so that by 12 o'clock in the afternoon he's on the cross what day is that that's Passover Passover started the night of the 14th that's why it's important to think about it in lunar terms Passover began he kept the Passover feast with his apostles and then he became the Passover lamb he became the sacrifice the Pasha he became the blood sacrifice that established the new covenant but that also paid the sins for his people and he did all of that on Passover and then we read that Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate begging for the body of Jesus and they were in a hurry to get him into the grave and John very specifically tells us because the high day was approaching and that's going to start at evening so they're in a hurry to get him down off the cross and get him into a tomb because the high day is coming and you can't do any servile work on the high day because it's the first day of the beginning of unleavened bread and so they get him into a nearby tomb and then they all go back and they keep the high day and then the next day the women go out and they buy the spices then I argue that the next Sabbath that is referred to is that weekly Sabbath that we read about and that would put them at Saturday and then what's the day after Sabbath you can say it now Elizabeth <laughs> the Passover died here's the point on time exactly on time 1400 years they'd been doing this they didn't know why they were doing it God told them to do it they were memorializing their deliverance from Egypt and then he died on Passover because he was the lamb that takes away the sin of the world which is how John the Baptist identified him at the very beginning of Jesus ministry he is the lamb he's the Passover he died the Passover lamb right on Passover he was put in the grave at the beginning of unleavened bread what day did he get up? Sunday. Sunday. In fact, it says that the women went out in the dark, because remember, Sunday had already begun at evening the day before. They went out and it was still dark. It was just dawning. The sun was just beginning to come up when they went to the grave to go embalm his body, and he wasn't there, which means he perfectly fulfilled first fruits. And Paul says he became the first fruit of the resurrection. The perfect fulfillment now of three feasts. And then the weeks go by and Pentecost happens exactly on time. And everybody who's supposed to be in Jerusalem for that feast is in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit falls. And yet again, Jesus perfectly fulfills each of those feasts perfectly in order. God has had this planned since before the foundation of the world. And he laid it out in time and history for 1,400 years. And in fact, for a while... Israel, especially after they had gone through the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity, they had ceased to do it. And when Hezekiah became king of Judah, he reestablished 
so many reforms that he made within Judah. And the biggest reform that he made was to return them to Passover, to keeping the Passover. So much so that he even invited the northern tribes to come down and observe Passover with them because he knew that this was an ordinance of the Lord that could not be stopped. It had to be continued. He didn't know why. He just knew that God said, this has to be done every year. This memorial has to be established all the time because God was teaching Jesus to come. And when Jesus got here, he satisfied each one of those feasts so that he did perfectly fulfill the feasts of these people who for 1,400 years didn't know what they were doing. It's astounding. It's amazing. And then Jesus says to his apostles, now when you do this, you keep doing it. You're Jewish people. If you're Jewish people, it is important that you do it every year. He didn't say, okay, now stop that whole Passover thing. Instead, what he said, now when you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. Don't remember the deliverance from Egypt. Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles, he kept Passover. Even after Jesus had come and died and resurrected, he continued to keep Passover. Why? Because he's Jewish. And he was told to continue it as an everlasting ordinance. He had to keep doing it. In Acts 20, verse 6, it says, We sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. He used the days of unleavened bread as a calendar marker. And we came unto them to Troas for five days, where we abode for seven days. Acts 18.21 tells us how the Apostle Paul sailed from Ephesus so that he could, quote, keep the feast that's coming to Jerusalem. He needed to be in Jerusalem for the feast because that was the requirement of the Jews. But look at 1 Corinthians 5. Everybody turn there. And we're finally going to get down to brass tacks here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read at verse 6. Paul, again, correcting the Corinthian church, says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. What's he doing? He's giving spiritual application to the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they'd been doing for 1,400 years. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. That's interesting language. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Which feast? He just mentioned the feast, Passover, because Christ is our Passover lamb. But let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11 now. So I hope what you're going to take away from this morning's teaching is not only that what we are doing here this morning is in accordance with Jesus and what Paul taught the church of Jesus Christ to do, but what we are doing here has a long, rich history that looked forward to the Messiah to come. And then when the Messiah came and established this memorial for his church, 
he said, and now remember the kingdom to come. I won't do it again until I drink it new and eat it new with you in the kingdom. So there is this forward-looking element to this Lord's Supper that we are going to partake of together. And I really, really want you to understand, and I just hope that God will give me the words to make it plain, to make it clear, that we are sitting right in the middle of the grand scheme of God's control of planet Earth and what happens on his planet. When you drink this cup, when you take this bread, and you remember what he has finished, what he has accomplished, remember that it was predicted way in advance. When God told Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heavens, the sands of the seas, and then they're going to go into a land where they're not known, and they're going to be slaves there for 400 years, and then I'm going to bring them out with a powerful hand. And when I bring them out, I'm going to bring them back to this land. And then God memorialized that bringing out of Egypt to that land. And then they continued to keep that memorial over and over again because God is in control of human history and he's in control of how his people worship him. He doesn't just leave it up to you to decide that you're just going to approach him any old way, that you're just going to run into his presence and that you're just going to give him whatever you think is appropriate for him. He is the God, the sovereign God, the ever-living maker of heaven and earth, and he has established for his people how they approach him. We approach him through Christ Jesus. We approach him through the finished work of Jesus. We approach him, we even pray to him in Jesus' name, by Jesus' authority. We don't even have the ability to walk forward and tell him what we want, except that he gave us the authority to do that because of what Jesus did. So when you take this bread, when you take this cup, remember what he accomplished for you, what he is continuing to accomplish for you, and what he has already said is going to happen in the future, which is why he said, remember to keep praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because he's going to finally sit at the banquet with us and drink again and eat again with us in the establishment of his father's kingdom. You're sitting right in the middle of the grand design of God's plan for human history. And that's amazing. Okay, so quick ground rules. There are a couple of people here this morning who are visitors, who haven't come to GCA before. People ask me sometimes at GCA, do you practice closed communion? I grew up Lutheran. The Lutheran church used to practice closed communion. What they meant by that was unless you were baptized into the Lutheran church, you couldn't participate with them in the communion. We don't have that rule. Because inasmuch as this is called the Lord's Supper, not Jim's Supper, not the GCA Supper, this is the Lord's Supper. So if you believe in Christ Jesus, 
If you are ready to launch yourself out into eternity based on faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, come to this table. Come memorialize what he has done for you. Come remember him in everything that he has done for you. Secondly, in the cups over here, and Tom will have to tell you what's what, but there's a bottle of grape juice, which I'm guessing is designating the, the, the cups, the, the tray that is. The other two are wine. And the other two are wine. We do use wine here uh, because Jesus did. So that pretty much is the end of that. But we also have grape juice there. I have dealt with people through the years who have gone through AA or some other program like that. And they're very determined not to take that first drink of alcohol. And so if they were to take communion wine, they would have a crisis of conscience because they had broken their own vow to themselves to not drink again. I don't want you to have a crisis of conscience because you shouldn't be thinking about you. You should be remembering him and what he did. The bread over here is in cups. It's one of our modifications that we've made because of COVID. So you can each come by and pick up a cup, but we will all break the bread together. The pieces of bread in the cups are large enough that they can be broken because you need to have the visceral experience of breaking the bread and remembering that this is the body of Christ broken for you. Is everybody in... 1 Corinthians 11. There are only two places in the Bible where it says that God actively killed somebody. One was the giving of Ananias and Sapphira. And the other was the church of Corinth. There were people who were sick and there were people who died under the curse of God because they did communion so wrongly. So this is serious stuff. But I grew up in the church that told me to, to examine myself, to determine whether or not I was worthy to take communion. I'll save you the time. You're not. You're not worthy of the body and blood of Christ. This is a matter of grace, a matter of love, a matter of kindness by God that he would give his son to save you. What Paul says is that we ought to take worthily. That's an adverb. That modifies the action. It doesn't say examine yourself to see if you're worthy. Examine yourself to see if you're partaking worthily in a fashion where you are waiting on each other where you're being kind to each other and where you are thinking about Jesus Christ and his finished sacrifice and not thinking about yourself. If you're busy thinking about yourself and your own unworthiness, you've missed the whole point. And Paul says, people who acted that egocentrically at the communion table ate and drank damnation to themselves. That's the King James what it means in the Greek is they ate and drank correction to themselves from God. God corrected them by putting sickness and even death on them 
so that they could avoid the ultimate katakrima, the ultimate judgment of God. God in kindness kept people from worshiping him wrongly. That's an amazingly sovereign God. That's who you're dealing with. Don't take this lightly. Don't take this haphazardly. If you come to this table, when you come to this table, and I hope you all come to this table, when you come to this table, recognize that this is a memorial to Jesus Christ and not to your worthiness. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17, in giving this instruction to the church at Corinth, Paul says, I do not praise you. Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions that exist among you. And in part, I believe it, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are approved may be made evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper, For in your eating, each one of you takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Don't you have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Paul, when he was in Corinth, instructed them on the proper way to take the Lord's Supper. And they were doing it very improperly. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. What night was that? Don't say Sunday. It was Passover. It's the 14th of Nisan. The night on which he was betrayed, that's the night that he took bread. That's the night that they shared the wine. That's the night that they had this memorial. That's why we do this once a year. We are not, by the way, under the law of Moses. That is why we're not adamant to make sure that we do this on Passover, because that would be putting us all back under the law. But I can't avoid the fact that it is a once a year memorial and that the church is told to do it, and that Paul here says the church does it on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. We do it the Sunday morning that we celebrate his resurrection because I like the fact that not only does it look back and remember what he did, but it looks forward to his coming again. And that is a great promise. So, all right. Tom and Micah, if you would... We're going to start at the back of the room. I think that's the easiest way to make the flow. So if you would go on back there, Micah, and what did you decide, Tom? Okay. Come come down this way, and we'll all go clockwise like so. That way we're not bumping into each other with some people going this way and some going that way. And then keep the bread and wine in your hands, and we will all partake together.
Micah, if you would. Here at this microphone, would you thank the Lord for his broken body? Leon, if you would, would you come up after him and thank the Lord for his shed blood? Heavenly Father, we graciously bow to you in the midst of this memorial, hearts and minds fixated upon you, your finished work, understanding the great lofty heights from which you came, setting aside your glory from which you deserved, taking on human flesh to be tempted in all ways as we are tempted, and to lay down your life as a sacrifice. No one took that life from you, but you freely laid it down as the spotless lamb, the sacrifice, worthy, pleasing to the Father. As we take this bread, help us to remember as we break it how your body was broken for us, mocked, scorned, ridiculed, beaten, hairs plucked from your face, whipped. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us. Thank you for understanding our desperation and the seriousness of our sin. Our sin required such a great sacrifice, and you are the perfect solution for it. Help us to praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Indeed, Heavenly Father, it is unfathomable to us that the blood of your Son would be shed as a sacrifice for us. The blood of animals could not suffice. All the blood of the entire world could not suffice. All of our blood could not suffice. Nothing could suffice but the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, that was spilt, that was given, that was shed on our behalf to pay the price for all of our sins. The price has been paid in Jesus. We give thanks in Jesus, in Jesus only can we live because he lives. I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, for as often as you drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we're looking forward to. Amen. The day when he comes again, and we will do this again with him in his kingdom. What a glorious promise. I think we should sing, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Oh. 
Holy, holy, holy and righteous is your name, O God. What a mighty God we serve. We thank you for this opportunity this morning to come here and to know that Christ Jesus, our Lord, is risen, and he is risen indeed. And the question of our sin is no longer one that needs to be answered because he hath paid it in full. And we glorify in that. Help us to rejoice and to celebrate that, to memorialize you and to give glory to you for all that you do. We thank you that you have brought friends and, and fellow saints here to celebrate with this morning. We thank you for bringing them here safely. We ask that you would give them safe passage to return again. We ask also that uh, you would be with all of those who are in difficult circumstances, whatever our needs may be. Sometimes we're frightened and scared and are embarrassed to bring them up, um, but you know our every need and you supply us fully with your spirit to bring those before the Lord uh, with groanings that cannot be uttered. And we thank you, Lord, for this memorial service. We thank you for the Passover, which you instituted, and we ask that you would help us to remember it as instituted by Christ, the new covenant, the body that was broken, um, the blood that was shed, Lord. What a privilege we have to worship such a wonderful God. Lord, as we embark upon a new week, we pray that you would be the one who goes with us, guiding us in all that we say and do, whatever comes into our lives, that we would do them as unto the Lord. And we ask that if you give us opportunity, if anyone asks for the hope that lies within us, you would give us quickness and a boldness to answer Jesus Christ and he alone. He's the one that we are to, to run to, to embrace, to run into his presence, crying, Abba, Father. Lord, we ask that you would dismiss us now, keep us safe, and we thank you for this opportunity today to celebrate you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you.